Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. I'm Jen. And this is a podcast where we read through the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. You can find our plan there. We also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you are jumping in today, we are on day 35. Wowza. Yeah, we're past a month now. Now the days are no longer just the day of the month that the podcast is dropping on. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's gonna get it's gonna get even more confusing. So pay attention to the days if you're dropping in. If you're dropping in, you know, new brand new. If yes. you're not though, follow along. That's the best way to do it. And if you have any questions you would like us to answer, email in to info at grove.church or direct message the Grove Church Facebook page or church Instagram. It's true. We love answering questions. It's it's funny because we got for whatever reason last year we got like a two week period where I think we got like 10 or 11 questions in. And so we just worked on that backlog for a long time. And then I was like, oh no, we're going to run out. And then this week we got a couple more in. So boom, there you go. We'll answer one this week. We've got one for next week as well. So if you, if you've sent one in and you didn't hear it answered, don't worry, it's coming next week. That's awesome. But what if I want to ask a question for the audience to send in the answer? Can't, can't (laughs) do it. No, there's no, uh, we don't do plants here, Jen. This is, this is a legit establishment. How dare you? All right. Well, Jen, welcome back. This is your second episode, so mm-hmm. I guess we don't need to introduce you or anything. No, nope, I'm still Jen. All right. Let's get started. <laughs> let's get started on the Old Testament. All right. I feel like the stereotype of Bible in a year reading plans is everyone starts off really strong and then you fall off once you get a little bit into the Pentateuch. We've reached that portion of the Pentateuch. <laughs> Leviticus is usually the joke. People talk about Leviticus, but it actually starts in Exodus. And what I'm referring to is uh, we're going to get sections that are, I guess you would describe them as the law proper. It's the mm-hmm. actual list of rules, the actual list of statutes that God gives to Moses to give to his people. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that. It's going to probably probably be a little bit of a shorter podcast. Yeah. To be honest, it's not one of those things. It's not like a big narrative where you're really drilling into everything that's happening. But at the same time, here's what I want to encourage you listeners with. Stick with it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't last forever. Uh, and it's, it's, it's still good yeah. for us to know about. It's still good for us to learn. And there's a couple different things I, w- I want to encourage everyone as we're reading through this week. Number one, try as much as you can to put yourself into the lives of the people that you're reading about. Yeah, that's about. good. So I, th- I think sometimes we just kind of like, oh yeah, whatever, the tabernacle is this is this many cubits <laughs> or whatever it is. Uh, but imagine what it would be like to hear the voice of God declaring, this is the structure I want to be built to worship me. This is exactly how I want to build. Think about how amazing that would have been. And think about how honored the people who were actually a part of constructing it were. We're going to read, I think it's in next week's readings about how everyone comes together and and Moses is just like, okay, who wants to give things for the tabernacle? And he has to cut it off. He's like, okay, no more, no more. We have too much stuff. We have too much stuff. Uh, The people were clearly incredibly excited about this. Uh, And the other thing I'll say is, and this is throughout all of the Old Testament, but it's it's really particularly helpful with the passages on the law and the rules and statutes and things like that. Um, Think about how this points to Jesus. How does Jesus fulfill this part of the law? If we know from the story of the road to Emmaus, which we talked about a few weeks ago, but that's in Luke where uh, Cleopas and another man are walking, they walk with Jesus, and then Jesus shows them how the entirety of the Old Testament points toward him. That means it points towards him. Yeah. <laughs> so for us today, I, I think it's really it's a really healthy way to read the Old Testament through the lens of how would the people who read this first understand it, but also through the lens of how does this point me to Jesus? And yes. so. 
Uh, I think it's particularly helpful when we get to the, I'm just going to say it, the boring parts. So well, there's a few. We often forget that the the whole Bible is one story and it's all about Jesus. And so we just have to hold that all together. And it's difficult to do in these things, but we're going to we're gonna do it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> there's one connecting point through all of scripture. So try and find it where you can. Okay. So as we jump into the Old Testament this week, we see that God is getting ready to give the people of Israel a new covenant, not the new covenant, but to them, a new covenant, to us, the old covenant. That's enough about covenants right now. (laughs) Uh, While camped out at Mount Sinai, God promises that he will make them a set apart nation of all among all the peoples of the earth, and they will be like a holy nation of priests. Uh, This is a really important thing that God is saying, because uh, remember the role of a priest is it's someone who stands between God and man. So you wouldn't have direct access to God. You would have to go to the priest and the priest would be the one who goes to God. What, what God is saying here is that he's going to make a nation of people who have direct access to him. And so we see this a little bit. There's still obviously the priestly sacrificial system. Uh, but when you read the Psalms, the Psalms are not written by priests most of the time. Some, I believe some of them are, but David for sure is not a priest and he's writing Psalms directly to God. So even in the midst of a priestly system that the Israelites are living under at, at this time, there's still this understanding that they they can cry out to God directly and that God will hear them. And then obviously this is most fulfilled in the new covenant with Jesus, where now we don't need a well, I shouldn't say we don't need a priest. Jesus is our priest. <laughs> Jesus is the is is God and he's our priest. It's yeah. a little confusing, but that means that we have direct access to God. So uh I love how that that reality is set up here in the Old Testament and then we continue moving forward. So God tells Moses to prepare the people to see his presence. And when I say his, I mean God's presence. Uh, One morning, a massive cloud envelops the mountain with thunder and lightning throughout. The sound of a great trumpet comes from the mountain and the people of Israel gather at the base, making sure not to touch any part of the mountain proper. Uh, They're told whether it's a, whether it's a human or whether it's an animal, if anyone touches the mountain, they die. So they're, they're keeping their distance. But, and again, just close your eyes and imagine what this would be like, you're camped out next to a mountain and all of a sudden a massive cloud descends on it. There's a huge storm and you, and you hear trumpets coming out of it. It's, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, and then the scene gets real intense. This is Exodus chapter 19, starting verse 18. It says, now Ma- Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the entire mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, Go down, warn the people, so that they do not break through the break through to the Lord to stare, and many of them perish. And also have the priests who approach the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Uh, so basically God's like, okay, it's, this is about to go down. I'm giving all of you my covenant and br- bring them forward. And Moses like, well, they're all going to die, aren't they? And he's like, and God's like, that's fair. Uh, so <laughs> just Aaron, uh, but let the people know that this is going down. Uh, and so it's at this moment that the people receive the most famous part of the law, and this is this is the Ten Commandments. Uh, and I never realized this before because, again, one of the things I love about reading the Bible is every time you read it, you're going to notice new things. I always remember growing up that God gives Moses the law, and then Moses takes the law back to the people. 
Um, that's true for most of it. This, however, the Ten Commandments are given to the whole nation. The whole nation audibly hears the voice of God coming out of the mountain or coming out of the the smoke on the mountain, giving them the Ten Commandments. So it's really cool. After a sweet trumpet solo. It's true. After, <laughs> after the sounds. And again, just imagine what you would feel like at the base of this mountain, feeling the awesome power of God and then hearing these commands. And so the commands are, and many of us know them. Uh, the people of Israel are not to worship any other God besides Yahweh. He is the only God they are to worship. Uh, they're not to make any sort of idol, and whether that be an image of Yahweh or a false God. And so, and you'll see both of these come up. One of them comes up really soon. Uh, they shall respect the name of God and never use it flippantly or for evil. Um, it's funny because I think when I was growing up, this was always uh, told to me as don't swear, which is mm-hmm. like, it's not what it's saying. Um, I'm not saying I'm not endorsing swearing one way or the other. I think, you know, there's reasons there's reasons not to swear, but this verse isn't one of them. This mm-hmm. verse is specifically talking about essentially don't make light of God and also don't do evil things, don't do wicked things in the name of God because mm-hmm. and that's using the that's using God's name in vain. Uh, next they shall observe the Sabbath as a holy day that is set apart for rest and worship of Yahweh. Uh, and this even extends to foreigners who may be working in Israel. So the, the day of rest is it, if you are a, uh, let's say if you're a Jew who has, um, foreign workers working for you, you're not allowed to just do the Sabbath and everyone else keep working. No, right. like the Sabbath is for everyone who is staying in the country, whether they're Jewish or not, this is a day of rest for everyone. Uh, and then the people of Israel shall honor their parents. They shall not murder, they shall not commit adultery, they shall not steal, they shall not give false testimony, and they shall not covet, uh, which basically means to jealously desire the things that someone else has. And there's a whole list of things to not covet, but it's kind of just summed up with the idea. It's basically just don't covet anything. Um, Have you seen that meme that says, you know, it goes over the Ten Commandments, says thou shalt not do this, and it's like, the guy's like, good thing my name's not thou. Like, thank God my my name's not thou. Oh, man, these would be really hard to follow. (laughs) That's funny. I haven't seen that before. I love it. Oh, man. Uh, After this, the people are so overwhelmed that they ask to not hear from God anymore. So, which is really interesting. So, they just, they can't take it anymore. Uh, They want Moses to go back into God's presence by himself and relay the covenant back to them. So, the people are, they get 10. The people are done. And so that's why we get the the tablets and everything that's going to come a little bit later. Uh, and so at this point, God's like, all right, that's fine. And so Moses goes back into uh, the presence of God and God begins to speak only to Moses. Uh, the final rules in chapter 20 involve a repeat of the command to make no idols. As we'll see, that's a, that's a really important command to God. There's a, f- there's a couple. It's funny because you get the Ten Commandments, um, but don't make idols. And keep the Sabbath. They those keep coming up as you as you read through the law. That's kind of one of those things where God's really trying to hone in on guys. This is not something I want you to do. And as we'll see, the uh, people of Israel do not. They don't keep those rules very well. But what are you going to do? Uh, and then <laughs> the other one is that when they are to make temporary temporary altars. So this isn't about the altar that's in the or the couple of altars that are in the tabernacle. This is about when they make an altar of sacrifice to God. Um, or of memory of something that God did, they're not supposed to use cut stone. They're supposed to use stones the way that they're found in nature. We're not told why. Um, part of me thinks it's like, you know, if if God made stones, they, you don't have to change them. They're right. beautiful. So yeah. maybe that's the way that maybe that's what's going on there. But it's it's left very open to interpretation. But so you'll see later on, 
or I can't remember if it happened before, if it happens after this, but Moses will make a stone altar. And so you'd imagine, you can kind of picture what that looks like. Moses probably wasn't getting perfectly square bricks to do this. He was just gathering stones and building an altar. But I mean, that ends it for, for day one. Jen, take us into day two of the reading. Yeah, well, in Exodus 21, we get a lot of discussion of slaves and how they work in this culture. Um, in particular, slaves of their own people, um, which is always interesting to read about. Um, some things of note that I caught when reading this, and and like Evan said, this is going to be, there's not a lot to dig in deep into <laughs> these dry passages, but I just want to hit a, a couple of favorite things. But um, one thing that I found interesting is debt is the number one reason a fellow Israelite may become a slave. So like if Evan is in debt to me, he might sell me Joel. Uh, like, whoa, whoa there. <laughs> Let's not get crazy. <laughs> the other thing I, th- I found interesting is that we'll talk about like um, slave owners and marriage and stuff like that. And if so like if you had a poor family, um, if a family can't pay for a wedding, they'd actually sell their daughter to the groom and she'd become his property. What did you what do you think about that, Evan? Like uh, so yeah, I think it's really it's really any discussion of slavery in the Bible is really difficult because as Americans, we have one very specific idea of slavery in our head because it's yeah. the one that we had as a nation. Right. And so um and obviously that was incredibly wicked and it's, and it's a great thing that it no longer exists. Um, slavery in the Bible is a little bit different. There's mm-hmm. some of that, mm-hmm. um, but a, a lot of it is, and you also have to, and I guess I'll say this, you also have to recognize different cultures that things are coming up in. Um, today, we live in a culture of wild prosperity. Um, even the most poor among us in the US live better lives than anyone would have dreamed right. uh, if you go back just a few centuries. And so um, because of that, like the idea of if someone came to me and said, hey, Evan, uh, why don't you work for me? I'm not going to pay you anything, but I'll give you a place to live and you'll always have food. I'd right, be like, exactly. I'd be like, no. But back then, that's not a bad deal. And a lot of people would be very willing to take a deal. And it's so, how they take care of each other. Yeah, yeah, take care of each other. You take care of yourself. You can take care of your family that way as well. Um, and so I, I, I think some slavery is not, it's not they're going in and they're raiding and they're taking slaves right. back. It's people selling themselves into slavery for that particular reason. Um, again, I think the, the way that we do things now is better and I don't think it's necessary mm-hmm. anymore. But again, you have to take yourself back to, for most of human history, the idea of having a stable place to live and food on your plate for the your whole life that's all you can ask for mm-hmm. and 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 that's a great that's a great thing to to happen there um the other thing is and then and this is also in most ancient cultures this is the case um and in particular in Israel this was happening is that for a long time marriage was arranged by the parents mm-hmm. and that's and that's how it worked it wasn't this uh and again i love i love the way it is now like i'm glad that me and Ashley got to choose each other. And it wasn't. It wasn't like my parents. Like, ah, oh, this this lady looks fine. Um, but for and you saw this with the patriarchs, right? Like Isaac does not choose his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, I guess, does. But that's for that's because he ran away from home. Um, but you see, I think with Isaac, a very particular um, way that this works is Abraham wants his son to marry a woman from this particular place, and so he sends someone to go. Hey, go find a woman suitable for my son. Isaac doesn't appear to have very much say in the matter. That's kind of just the way that that culture worked. Um, And so again, if you were poor Mm -hmm. and 
one of the ways that you could ensure that your daughter was taken care of, and and this is the other one, right? Because again, when we hear the word slavery, we think of something else. Um, you'll see through as we read through the law, the the it's the the female slave in a household is much more akin to like a concubine or a, or a yeah. wife. Um, and again, you see that with Abraham and right, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, like Hagar, for instance, would yeah. be one of Abraham's concubines. I, I can't remember. Like Jacob has two, and I can't remember their names either. I feel bad because the wives always get the credit for the twelve sons. Yeah, of Yeah, it's Rachel and Leah's uh, servants. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they become concubines of Jacob as well. Um, and so this isn't again. You have you have to kind of get out of your head the idea of um, living in just horrid oppression. And that's not, and not that that never happened, but the hope of this system was essentially you treat someone mm-hmm. as a wife, you treat them with respect, um, and you, and you bring them into your home. Um, but at the same sense, what makes it uncomfortable, especially for us today, is the idea of um, ownership. The yeah, word o- slave, yeah. yeah, ownership. The word slave, property, all of those different things. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a different culture. It's it's really hard to read and talk about. But I, what I would say is, I would encourage everyone, anyone who's struggling with this. Um, really look into what slavery in ancient Israel and also you can compare it to other places in the ancient world as yeah. well. And and you'll see that it's it's different from what we oftentimes picture. And also remember that these are just different cultures and the things that people would have wanted in this culture are going to be a little bit different than what we would what right. we would have wanted. And for a lot of people, the idea of being a slave and being well taken care of, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of the law is about, is like, hey, yeah. if you have slaves, you need to you need to treat them really well. For a lot right. of people, that's not a raw deal. For a lot of people, right. that's something that sounds great. Well, and I mean, we see God telling you know slave owners um, in Israel to yes, treat all their slaves well, but especially when it comes to your own people, the Israelites. Like He's even saying, yo, like if you are um, taking in someone for you know as a bride, um, then you can't just like if you're not happy with her you can't turn around and sell her like you could like another slave right you know stuff like that or the fact that if you take in um you know fellow israelites as slaves and um you need to let them go in seven years like there's always this opportunity for paying it back taking care of like all all this kind of stuff never about oppression well yeah and so the seven years thing that you just referenced is Mm -hmm. called the the year of jubilee Mm -hmm. um that is a massive difference between the israelite system of slavery and anything else is every every seven years you were to give your your slaves the opportunity do you want to be free okay be free like that's it so slavery was not meant to be uh, an ongoing institution. And you'll notice yeah. the one exception that's carved out is for the female slave. And again, mm-hmm. the idea there is that it's it's more of a wife situation yeah. that you're taking care of that person. Uh, yeah. But I love even the caveat there of, again, well, if, yeah. if you're poor and you're wanting your daughter to take care of, if all it, she she is a slave in that sense, but the master can't go and just be like, you know what, I'm done and sell yeah. her off somewhere right. else. Like, no, she has to go back right. home. Like, and so it, 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 there, there's, again, it, it, it reads so weird because it's so far away from the culture that we have today. But you can see how God is still, even in the midst of this uh, ancient kind of savage culture, to, to put it <laughs> now, uh, to, put, to put it bluntly, he's still making carve outs for treating people well. And he's still showing how you can display his love, even in the midst of these types of systems, which are very prone to, to right. human oppression. Well, and I love how you can even kind of um, indirectly see the care and the honor that can happen when you're a slave for a family, because it, it even states that like, you know, yes, let your slave go in seven years unless they want to stay. 
Right. You know, if they love your family and they feel they're cared for well there and they feel a part of the family, they can stay, you know? And so I, I find that very interesting to note. So yeah, we carry on and, um, and in verses 22 through 25, they're interesting to make note of as it's another proof that life starts in the womb. And I always like to point out things like that, you know, that we see as a pattern throughout the Bible, what is prescriptive, what's descriptive, right? So those verses say, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there's a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Then, on that note, okay, so all my life, you know, I, so I'm not like a pastor's kid, but I'm a grand pastor's kid, growing up in church, all this thing, all my, all my life, I, I assumed in the Old Testament, because we see a lot of brutal things anyway, that eye for eye means eye for eye. <laughs> like literally, yeah. But it does not. It's not a literal but it um formula, but it's a proportionate punishment. So how would you explain that to Yeah, I would say yeah. the the idea is that judgment should be just. So mm-hmm. if if someone has really wronged you, mm-hmm. it's not right for there to be a slap on the wrist. Like no, the person needs to pay you back in proportion to the way that they've wronged you is the idea. Right. Um, and we'll also see, I shouldn't say we also, we read in the gospels how Jesus later on goes to turn this on his head, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. But yeah. for, for now, this is the, this is the way that we're supposed to go through it. So, so. just like you've taken my oldest son through um, Ron Swanson right. in, in the pyramid, what's that called? The pyramid of greatness. Right. So I will take Joel through all things Disney. Sure. And so, you know, eye for eye. Pro- proportional <laughs> punishment. I like it. All right, Evan. Uh, so as we jump into chapter 23, we see some more laws giving bring, being given. And so God reminds the people to never give false report, even when there is pressure from the crowd to do so. So basically, if you're going to, and it, it's kind of, a, um, it's kind of a, a continuation of what Jen was just talking about. Like there should be justice in, in, a, in, a, in a worldly society that has sin, but is run with God in mind, there should be justice. And so that's the idea there. Uh, if someone sees an animal belonging to someone else wandering, they need to return it to them. So it doesn't super apply to us today. Although one time I was staying at a friend's house and I was, <laughs> I was like, there's a cow in the backyard. And then his mom didn't believe me and was just like, okay, Evan. And then all of a sudden she turned around and there was straight up just a cow that had run away. <laughs> we had a family in the, ch- I'm, I'm just telling stories now, but we had a family in the church who they just got up one morning and they looked in the backyard. I think seven or eight cows oh in my the goodness. backyard. And that was, uh, it was Craig and Emily, but That's not awesome. to out them. Uh, but, and so like, they're like, what is going on? And they went on Facebook and like some farmer around here, like posted about how, Hey, has anyone seen these cows? They got out. And so they were able to call, but it was the whole thing. So there you go. That's awesome. Uh, so there's those. And there, another rule is they must help with livestock, even if, even if the, with a person who hates them. And so it's, even if you're, <laughs> the people you do not get along with, if you see them struggling with livestock, you need to go help. Because again, this is a nation uh, run with the idea of showing God's grace yeah. to everyone. And so that's what we need to do. Uh, justice is to be dealt out fairly without regard to situation. So in other words, whether, whether a person is rich or whether a person, person is poor, um, just because a person is rich, that doesn't mean that you should punish them harder. And just because a person is poor, that doesn't mean that they should get a, a higher reward. That There is to be justice. People are to be trailed. People are to be treated equally. Uh, no bribes, I put. So basically, yeah, don't take bribes. You're to be honest. Uh, and then I particularly love this line about treating foreigners well. 
Uh, it says, you shall not oppress a stranger since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger for you were also strangers in the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so God is reminding his people, hey, remember how it felt when you were in Egypt for 400 years and you felt like outsiders? That sucked, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Make sure that other people who feel like outsiders in your land, make sure they are treated well. I, I just love that line because it, it, it's an echo of, or not an echo because it hasn't happened yet, but it's a shadow of the do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah. It's this idea of you remember what it was like to be strangers in a foreign land, treat strangers in a foreign land well. Uh, after this, God reiterates the importance of keeping the Sabbath, and he also establishes three days of feasting for the whole nation. We'll hear more about these as we continue through the law, particularly once we, I think it's Leviticus is where we get really a deep dive into the the feasts and the way that it's supposed to be celebrated. Uh, but we get the feast of the unleavened bread, which is Passover. And this is to be celebrated in the month of Abib. I don't remember. I don't remember where that lines up in our, uh, in our, gonna, in our Gregorian calendar. I was going to ask. <laughs> I don't remember. It's the same time. I mean, I mean, it's it's uh it's Pentecost, so mm-hmm. it's uh not Pentecost. It's uh Palm Sunday. No, right, right. no, no, Good Friday. Freaking a! I can't. You know, they're all right next to each other. It's fine. whatever. So this, <laughs> I, I'm just going through all of the the Christian words for the Jewish holidays. Sorry, it's on Good Friday. Jesus is celebrating the Passover. If Megan was here, she'd chastise you. It's true. Uh, so it's a couple. Yeah, I'm glad this is last week with Megan, not this week. Of course. Oh, I'd be embarrassed. Uh, so it comes around Easter, basically, give or take. Uh, the festival of the harvest is another one, and this is to celebrate God's provision as the first crops are harvested each year. And then there's the festival of ingathering, which is at the turn of the year. Uh, and then this is where, again, we'll get more details of it later, but it's another festival of thanksgiving for the harvest. So there you go. After this, God once again promises that he will give the people of Israel the land that he promised. And again, speaking of themes that you see repeated throughout uh, the first five books of the Bible, that's a big one where God is continuously promising that they're going to take hold of the lands of Canaan. Uh, moving into chapter 24, Yahweh tells Moses to go back to the people and to bring Aaron, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 elders to worship him on the mountain. So Moses got this kind of download from God, and now he's going to leave God's presence again. And again, I, I feel like, and I, I get it because Sunday school, you're like, you're really simplifying things. But I remember when I learned about this in Sunday school, it was just Moses went up the mountain and he got the whole law and came back down and he finds, no spoilers, but he finds something that he doesn't like. Um, but <laughs> It's it, he it's back and forth for a little bit there. So it's it's not that Moses is completely gone for this entire time. And so Moses returns to the people and he tells them all that God said. So they've gotten the Ten Commandments literally from the voice of God, and now they've gotten all of these commands. And Moses uh, gives gives that back to them as well. And they promise to keep these commandments, liars. And so uh, Moses writes it all down for them. And then in the morning, he builds an altar. Okay, this is where the altar comes in. He builds an altar at the base of the mountain where the people offer sacrifices. So this is the one where I was saying he's not using cut stones, presumably. Uh, he's using the way he's building the altar the way that God wanted to be built. Uh, and after this, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders go up the mountain and things get crazy. So this is Exodus 24 verses 9 through 18. It says, And Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet yet he did not reach out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. Uh, I never hear this. We never talk about this when we talk about this passage of the Old Testament. Uh, and so it's it's a it's an interesting question of what's going on here. Like, is this a Christophany? Like, are they seeing the physical um, incarnation of God before the person of Jesus? Like, that could be what's going on. This could be God revealing to them 
his full glory, or at least most of his full glory. We'll read a little bit later about how God has to protect Moses from seeing his face, but at the very least, it seems like they're seeing a lot of, of what's happening here. Um, this is an incredibly powerful moment. And it also, when we get to the thing that we're ending with today, that we're ending today's Old Testament readings on, it makes it all the more embarrassing for Aaron and the 70 elders and everyone else who gets involved with that. It's not, not great. Uh, but continuing on, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses got up along with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders, he said, wait here until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. And whoever has a legal matter, have him approach them. So basically Moses is, he's like, hey, I'm I'm leaving for a while. Aaron and Hur are in charge. So there you go. Uh, It's like the joke that Jen does every time she leaves the office early (laughs) where she's like, hey, I'm leaving. So-and-so's in charge. Yeah. And And I always pick somebody different. It changes every week. Sometimes it gets to be Nick. There you go. (laughs) Uh, And then Moses, sorry, continuing on in verse 15, then Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of God was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Again, close your eyes, uh, unless you're driving, uh, and imagine, and imagine what that would be like. It's just incredible. Sometimes we just, I think sometimes we just skim through the Bible and we don't take a moment to actually think about what, what's happening. Uh, and then the final verse, then Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, intense. <laughs> I love it. You know what I always find fascinating about Moses on the mountain in the presence of God is like, if I was in the presence of God, I would never come down that mountain. Yet Moses does. Why? To obey him. It's true. And I just think that's something amazing to think about and to just, you know, not only think about Jesus, like Jesus was with God from the beginning and he only left him to obey him. So it's something to think about for us. No, that's a a really, I love that connection point Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So Exodus 25. So here we're, we're looking at building the tabernacle and all that goes into that and why. So some points of interest. Um, God has always wanted to live with his people. Since the Garden of Eden, he keeps trying to get back together with us. Um, I just, I love that it's of utmost importance to him. And he's like, you know, even in in the desert and stuff, I want to be among my people and they need me among them. And so 25, one through nine, um, we see him asking for donations. Uh, to build this tabernacle and all that's, an invol- that's involved. And when I was reading about this, um, I've, I never put two and two together. It seems obvious now, but um, it's interesting to note that all the precious metals and jewels he asked them for probably came from when the Egyptians, from the Egyptians when they left. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because remember um, when they leave, they, what did he say exactly? He was like, take all... Or I can't remember. Or just... I remember it ends with, and so they, and so in this way they plundered Egypt. Yeah, but I don't remember exactly how. Yeah. It was phrased, yeah, and you think, well, geez, they're going in the desert. What do they even need all this money? <laughs> this is why. <laughs> well, I mean, and that reminds me that everything we get from the Lord is a gift to be stewarded for Him. Um, yes, we can get our own pleasure and enjoyment out of it, but when God blesses us. Um, you know that whole Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility? I'm familiar. <laughs> That's what I think all the time. Things I've been blessed with, how do I pay that forward? Um, so this is going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I'm just trying to have a practical thing here. Like, 
I got invited to go sell my books at an event. And I was like, okay, how do I pay that forward? Who, what would I want to done for me at that time? I'm taking Evan's books with me. Thank you again. <laughs> so yeah, I take my opportunities and the things God entrusts me with, and I pay it forward um, to other people. So then we, uh, we get into all the detail in building. Um, and it seems really, really involved. Like this is like a lot of detail. Like these are like full-blown blueprints. It seems like. Yeah. It, it reminds me a little bit of the ark mm-hmm. where it's, God's not just, Hey, build a big boat. He's like, this, <laughs> here's exactly what I want you to build. Yeah. Same thing with the tabernacle. Oh, even more involved, the tabernacle, you get, you're getting chapter after chapter after chapter yeah. of the way it's supposed to look. But, um, I think, yeah, I think it's a reminder of how seriously we are to take the worship of God mm-hmm. and how, yes. and and also I think that it's, um we've gotten away with this and this is a weird side tangent, I guess, but we've, we've gotten away in the Protestant tradition from the idea of creating something beautiful to glorify God. And so like, that's what the tabernacle is. Mm-hmm. The tabernacle is supposed to be full of beautiful things and that signifies the glory of God. Right. Um, and not that like everything has to be like a cathedral, although I love cathedrals. So I know. Amazing. Um, but like, I think sometimes in the Protestant tradition, we're just like this warehouse, it's great. And yeah. then we, and so like, and again, not that that's sinful or bad or anything like right. that, because I think there's something about being practical with the use of those things as well. But we've, we've lost a little bit, I think of yeah. that culture of just appreciating beauty and using it to, and, and again, beauty, building beautiful things to glorify God. Yeah. And, and again, so it's not so much about like, oh, it has to be like, they don't tell us it has to be this measurement for this reason, but we see that these instructions are so that we can partner with God in obedience and what he says and wants for us because the fear of the Lord is proved through obedience and because it shows what it means to have a holy God in our midst. Um, so Evan, what sticks out to you when you read that chapter, when you think, okay, we're doing all this to show our fear of God and that we're going to partner with him this way. It's important that he's going to be in our midst. Is there anything that strikes you with awe when reading these uh, quote unquote blueprints? I, th- I mean, I think which there's a, um, when you read about, like there's, there's a bunch of objects where it says that you're going to build this out of wood and then you're going to overlay it with bronze. Or you're going to overlay it with gold or you're gonna, whatever the metal is. Um, if you've never seen that, you kind of just have a picture of it, but you've, like so I remember um me and my wife we went to uh we went to Venice and so there was like a there's a San Marcos cathedral is the cathedral that's there uh and so we're like okay well we need to go see that and so we we waited in line and from the outside it looks you know it's it's a beautiful building it's it's really cool um but when you get inside it's it's freaking gold like the whole the whole ceiling is laid in gold and wow. like you can't even and actually even like she and she's an incredible photographer um, she took a bunch of pictures and it looks about as close as I think as you can get in a photograph of, of what it was like. And it still can't capture that right. feeling of walking into a room and just being struck with like, wow, this looks incredible. Um, and so I think that's part of what God wants to happen is walking into, when you walk into the parts of the tabernacle, particularly like, you, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. You're walking into God's presence, both literally and also figuratively a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you see here that it's important for God to instill that sense of awe and beauty yeah. because that's what you should feel when right. you're walking into the presence of right. God. Right. Oh, I love that. So yeah. So then um, like, like, like we said, lots of instructions how to get this done. And then Exodus 2630 tells, us, mo- tells Moses to do things according to the plan he saw on the mountain, which tells us that all these details of instructions we're reading, although seemingly very in-depth, are not in fact exhaustive. 
um, does make me wonder, like, what all else, you know. That's did, true. <laughs> like, Moses did a lot of stuff on that mountain. Oh, man. It's 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 funny. I mean, yeah, you because you think of, like, he's up there for, like, 40 days. And it's mm-hmm. not like God just spends a couple hours reading out the law and then, or maybe this is what happened. It's just a couple hours up in law and then all of a sudden they just chill and like, hey, how's, how's it going, mm-hmm. Moses? Good stuff. I mean, I guess when you're in the presence of God also, I, I would imagine time time moves a little bit differently there. Yeah, I think, probably. I think you're probably experiencing, uh, you're experiencing things very differently. Well, moving forward with God's commands, we get the description of the altar that will sit in the tabernacle for sacrifice. Uh, it's incredibly beautiful. And again, it's made of wood and then overlaid with bronze afterward. And I believe, I didn't write down which altar it was, but I believe this is the one with the altar. There's an altar of incense and then there's an altar of sacrifice. So there's the altar where you're kind of burning incense and you're, it's, it's, and basically what that means is it's it's going to smell good, um, but it's a way of offering those things to God. It's a sweet aroma Strawberries to God. Strawberries and cream. That, no. Probably okay. not that. Probably not. <laughs> My favorite is, uh, was champagne toast. So oh, I do love that. I have that lotion. Smells nothing like champagne, but it smells really good. <laughs> uh, and then, sorry, <laughs> that's weird. Uh, not, so, nod to Bath and Body Works. That's, there you go. <laughs> Uh, so next up, we see the courtyard of the tabernacle, which is a large area that encompasses both the bronze altar, the burnt offering altar, and the rest of the tabernacle as well. Uh, I, as a side note, I should say, um, if you have a study Bible, make sure you're looking at the pictures because yeah. that's really going to help you. Because yeah. because these things, and it's it's one of the blessings of because these things are described in such intricate intricate detail, we pretty much know exactly what it all looked like. Mm-hmm. So it's not like when you see these these pictures that. Um, that people are putting together. It's not like what they're imagining necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's very much like we're going to go step by step. And there's a little bit of artistic license that has to be, ta- that has to be taken, but not much. Like, so we- when you were, oops, I'm hitting the mic. So when you were reading about like the Ark of the Covenant, did you or did you not want to go back and watch that Indiana Jones Indiana movie? Jo- I mean, I always want to watch Indiana Jones. <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't particularly, I didn't watch it this time around, but th- it's never a bad time to yes. watch it. Well, at least two of the five movies are, uh, it's never a bad time. But, and the new game's coming out. That looks really good. Anyway, uh, and so there we get we get the idea of that courtyard. If you don't have a study Bible, uh, look it up. So just if you just Google pictures of this, you should be able to or find or watch some. Indiana Jones or watch Indiana Jones as well. You know that's <laughs> always super accurate. Oh, I found out the other day is uh, with the Ark of the Covenant that so you know how it's the two cherubim that are facing each other. Yeah. There's nothing in the middle, right? Um, apparently, in ancient Egypt, there was a Pharaoh's war tent is a thing that existed. And if you, if you go through the descriptions of the war tent and if you go through the tabernacle, they're very similar. So like mm. God is is designing something that's going to glorify him in a language that the Israelites would have understood. Mm. Because again, the Pharaoh's war tent was made to glorify Pharaoh. This tent is made to glorify God. Oh, yeah. um, but one of the big differences is that, and I can't remember what it, what it was, but there was some type of a structure that had two cherubim-like figures and then it had Pharaoh sitting in the middle. Um, whereas the Ark of the Covenant has the two cherubim and nothing in the middle. Wow, that's really cool. Because again, it's con- it's communicating that God is, he's the invisible yeah, God. So, right. And we'll see that come up I love that. in a couple of days uh, or a couple of days of reading. Uh, and then in chapter 28, we get a description of the garments that the priests are going to wear. Uh, again, I would look this up. It gives you a really accurate picture of what these folks would have looked like. Uh, and then we also get two stones of judgment, which come up. You you would think these wouldn't come up because they're kind of just random things, but they come up a couple of times in the Old Testament. So we'll see them there. Uh, but it's called the Urim and the Thumim. A Thumim. That one's a hard one to pronounce. I was gonna say, say it's that five th- times. Th- Thumim, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but again, yeah, they come up in the Old Testament. They're the Old Old Testament. They're used as stones of judgment, is what they're called. Uh, which means a lot of times when the people of Israel are essentially asking God 
to speak or asking God's advice on something, the way that in the New Testament you kind of see people cast lots for mm-hmm. for that sort of thing, the umin and the urim and the thumin <laughs> are sometimes used for that. So there you go. And and you know, luckily they're not around a ton, so I don't have to pronounce those all the time. But when I do, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. Awesome. So uh, Exodus twenty nine now, and um, I just want to take note of another thing. Just like earlier, I said, you know, when I was young, I thought eye for an eye was literal. Um, there's there's another weird thing that, you know, I've read all my life here in the Old Testament. I'm like, why? Why are they doing that? And it's, you know, uh, verse 29, 20, when Aaron and his sons were placed in their priestly garments, that the reason blood was placed on their ears, thumbs, and great toes, because it's like, what? what? Like, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so I've been reading this all my life and always wondered why. And it's because those are the exposed parts of their body that represent the whole when they're in their priestly robes. So it's all very just matter of fact and duh. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I never thought about it, but yeah, when you wear the robes, those are the only parts of your body that are visible now. It's like, oh, oh, a practical reason. Okay. And it's always the right rather than the left because there's significance in the right side being considered a place of honor. Um, so now let's let's talk a little bit about Jesus in Exodus 30. So the altar of incense represented Jesus in his human nature, and the incense burned there typified his pleading for his people. The continual intercession of Christ was represented by the daily burning of incense. It had to be burned daily, day and night, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So once every year, the blood of atonement was to be applied to it, showing that the intercession of Christ has all its virtue from his sufferings on earth and that we don't need any other sacrifice or intercessor but Jesus. My question is, what do you think the Israelites are thinking, you know, about like why the incense and why, like, do they, I mean, obviously, cause they don't know it's going to point to Jesus and, right. you know, but what are they thinking in their time? Well, I think there's a, there's a lot of things in the old covenant that we see with the benefit of hindsight, we see how they point towards Jesus, mm-hmm. but a lot of them also have their fulfillment in those moments as well. Um, like a lot of the messianic prophecies, you can apply some of those towards the Kings, but then you see how Jesus is the even greater King. He's yeah. the even greater um, Messiah in, in those moments. I think with this, you're seeing how um, it is showing how God is standing for his people, how God is forgiving sin, all of all of those things. But at the same time, and even if the people of Israel aren't fully aware that it's going to be happening, at, at the same time, it's, it's allowing space for Christ to come in and fulfill that in an even greater way that they wouldn't have seen before. Yeah. So that, that's kind of my, my thought process there. But yeah. Yeah, it, is, it is always interesting to, to again, like, I think it's really good to imagine how people would have felt. Uh, well, moving into chapter 31, we see God raised up certain craftsmen for the task of building all of these objects. Uh, and I feel like it's pretty cool to get your name in the Bible. So <laughs> shout out to uh, Bezalel and Aholiab. So they are the t- they're the two greatest craftsmen of Israel at this point, apparently. Uh, and then chapter 31 ends with a reminder to, again, keep the Sabbath day holy because that keeps coming up. Okay, chapter 32. This is where we're ending today. It's going to be a downer note. Uh, this is probably the worst apostasy that Israel ever commits. And by apostasy, I just mean basically blatant rejection of God. Uh, and so, and, and at the very least, even if it's not the worst, it's the one that sticks in God's craw the most. Um, mm-hmm. and you're going to read through all of the Old Testament and anytime the Israelites are ticking off God, he's going to point back to this moment as like, hey, remember that time? 
that I delivered you out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea after 10 plagues. And then I showed my presence to you on Sinai and you, Sinai, and you heard my audible voice giving you the law. And then you swore to keep that law. And then 40 days later, you did this. Remember that, Israel? Um, obviously, that's my paraphrase of the that's way that God- That's dredging up the past. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't blame God one <laughs> I know, bit. I know. So anyway, so this is what happens. This is Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse one. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled and Aaron's and assembled around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in your ears, of your in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Fine, don't tear out your own gold rings, whatever, <laughs> just, just your wives and kids. Uh, so all of the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from their hands and fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made it into a cast metal calf. Ugh. And they said, this is, the, this is your God, Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, or tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So the next day they got up early and they offered burnt offerings and peace offering and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and to engage in lewd behavior. Uh, I'm going to pause there for a second, but I'll finish the next four verses here in in a a little bit. Um, One thing that struck me for the first time as I was reading this this year, um, I never caught that this isn't supposed to be a different God. And so I always, as always, when I read this, it was like, and I obviously I don't know the name, but let's say, you know, we're, this is Kafi. This is Kafi, our God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. That's not what the Israelites are doing here. Uh, they're saying this is Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, this, and again, this is still a great sin that the Israelites commit. Um, but the sin that they're committing is not the idea of we don't want to worship Yahweh anymore, although they'll commit that sin plenty in the future. <laughs> um, the sin that they're committing here is they're trying to give physical form right. to Yahweh. They're right. trying to make idols to Yahweh in a way that is not um, that he's explicitly commanded them not to. So, so it's it's really interesting there, and in a way, it's making a mockery of Jesus, who is the who is the actual. Um, personification of God. He is God in the flesh. Yeah, we don't define who God is. God defines right. who God is. And yeah. so when we when they're building idols in this way, and this is an idol because even though you're theoretically making it for Yahweh, it's still you're still making a physical representation of of God in that moment. Um, that is the that is the wicked thing they're doing. It's it's almost like they're, and not that they had this in mind, obviously. Um, but it's it's almost the same sin as Abraham when he gets the promise of God and he's like, well, I can't have kids right now. Oh, Hagar, I'll just have Ishmael instead. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the Israelites are trying to jump the gun on there being some sort of a physical representation of God uh, amongst them. Well, and it's interesting too, because a lot of times when we sin, our intentions are good, but it's still sin. Right. You know, and there's grace for that. But still, it's important to take notes so we can just stay a little humble. I've been having a lot of those. My intentions were good moments over the last year, but hey. it happens. <laughs> you're a lot. You're a lot more gracious than I am because I don't think I'd call the Israelites' intentions good here. But who knows what was <laughs> well, going they, through their they heads? They want to worship God, right? You yeah, know, that's but true. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> bunch Supposedly, of, bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> Anyway, so continuing on, it says in verse seven, then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have behaved corruptly, corruptly. 
They have quickly turned away from the way of which I have commanded them. They had made for themselves a cast metal calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, Israel, who has brought you up from the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. That's an understatement. Uh, And so leave me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. So God is basically going flood number two, except it's not the whole world. He's just saying, you know what, Moses? I'm sick of this. I'm killing everyone. And then you, Sephora, and your sons, you guys are going to be the new nation. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Don't even worry about it. Um, But Moses, at this point, intercedes for his people against the wrath of God. And he uses as his argument that the nations will say that Yahweh brought the Israelites out of Egypt only to kill them in the desert. Uh, So it's it's an appeal to God's glory. Mm -hmm. It's basically saying like, God, your name will be, or Yahweh, your name will be less glorified if if this happens. Uh, And Yahweh relents from his anger and Moses heads down the mountain. Uh, so Moses, I guess we skip past that. It's really weird to think about God changing his mind. I don't know how, like it's, it's, mm-hmm. did that happen or was it just God's kind of showing his anger here, knowing that Moses is going to react the way that he is. But so it's kind of an interesting relationship, but at the mm-hmm. very least it shows where Moses's head is at and it's in the correct space. It's not pleading for mercy because like, no God, that's mean. He fully recognizes that God has every right to do this, yeah. that God has a justification to do this. Um, his appeal is that he wants the name of Yahweh to be glorified among the nations. And so, again, it's, just, it's showing that Moses' head is in the is in the right place mm-hmm. here. Uh, so Moses goes down, he sees Joshua, who remember, he was not fully in God's presence, but he was still on the mountain. So Joshua is not a part of this, which is probably why he gets to lead Israel later, because he's one of the, he's one of the few who wasn't a part of this. Uh, and so... He's, Joshua says that there's a sound of war coming from the camp, and Moses is saying, nope, it's not a sound of defeat, nor is it a sound of victory. That there is singing, Joshua, uh, which makes me think the Israelites were terrible singers. And so <laughs> it's just like, no, that's not people dying, Joshua. That's them celebrating. So melodious. Oh, man. Uh, so when Moses sees what the Israelites have done, he is so angry that he shatters the tablets that he got from God on the ground. And I, I love this. He takes the calf, burns it, grounds it up into powder, scatters it over Israel's drinking water, and he forces them to drink it. And so basically he's like, okay, we're done. We're never saying this. Th- we're never saying this thing again. You like that? Eat it. It's yeah. the ultimate, it's the ultimate rubbing your dog's nose yeah. in poop. It's yeah. just like you're not getting like, Moses is, even though he's pleading for mercy for his people, he doesn't want them to die. Uh, he's not, he's also not going easy on them. Yeah, he's, a lesson needs to be learned. Uh, and, and we'll see, it keeps getting more and more intense. <laughs> uh, Aaron begs for mercy, and this isn't one of his best moments. He just straight up blames the Israelites when it did. It didn't seem like he put up a fight. He's just yeah. like, oh, these wicked people. Well, it's like, dude, I, I, we saw what happened. Like you were, you were just like, they came to you, hey, we want a God. And Aaron's like, all right, fine. Like, un- unless there was some fighting that's not recorded in scripture, but that does not seem to be the way that it's going. It's like Adam, Eve gave me it. Yeah, it's that true. woman. Oh, man. <laughs> so Moses then summons the Levites, who apparently did not take part. Uh, it's it's not clear whether this is saying the whole tribe of Levi did not take part in this, or if it was just a large group of them that didn't. I think some translations will translate this different ways. But either way, at the very least, a significant portion of the tribe of Levi did not take part in this. Uh, and so Moses commands them to go out and they slay 3,000 men who had taken part uh, in this sin. And again, we get that hyperbolic language of, Mo- I, I, can't, I should have written it down. I'm, I'm dumb for always forgetting to do this. But uh, Moses says something to the effect of basically, go slay, go kill them all. Mm-hmm. And then it says, then they went and slayed 3,000 men. So clearly when that language is being used, it's not always meant to be interpreted literally as mm-hmm. like, 
every single person. Right. It's meant to just mean a lot. Yeah. Um, and so that happens. And then if that wasn't enough, God sends a plague to do even more damage. And so the message is pretty clear. Um, hey, you remember that commandment about make no false idols? I was serious about that. <laughs> and so that's where we're in today's Old Testament reading. It's uh, God reminding the people of Israel that his, his law and his covenant is not to be taken lightly. Um, his mercy is incredible. He brought them up out of Egypt, mm -hmm. but they're not going to get to enjoy the blessings of God for very long if they, if they don't keep his covenant. Amen and amen. Uh, before we head into the New Testament. It's true. <laughs> please leave a review. It helps get the podcast out there to more people. And in fact, leave reviews for me and Evan's books. <laughs> oh, there you go. If you, if you want to do that as well, look up, uh, you can look up Suffering in Silence for my book. You can look up As My Mind Winds Up or As My Mind Unwinds for Jen Irvig. And I forgot the name of the third one. It's, oh, Help, Help I'm Saved. Help I'm Saved. And Megan helped write that one. See how That's I true. fit that plug in there? Put it in there. And if you listen on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, the two that really help us with reviews. And so if you want to leave a review of the five-star variety, that would be great. Uh, with that being said, let's jump into the New Testament. Okay, picking up this week in the New Testament, we get the fallout from last week's salvation for the Gentiles. So remember, uh, Peter is drawn away and he, to the house of Cornelius, and he goes. Uh, he has all those visions about the the unclean food coming down on a great sheet, and then God telling him to eat it. And then he witnesses to Cornelius and his household. They're all saved. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so now we need to figure now we need to figure this whole thing out. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he goes back to Jerusalem to tell the brothers and sisters there what had happened. And many of the Jewish Christians take issue with the fact that Peter ate with Gentiles. Uh, and I think sometimes we think of this as being a Pharisee moment. Like, no, this is a Christian moment. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I, I want to be careful. I said this, I say this pretty much every year, but um, I do want to be careful to give grace when we read about this, because again, imagine that. The first time the law was given, we're just reading about it, is in Exodus. Mm -hmm. That is a very long time before this. Right. So imagine for well, well over a thousand years, you have been worshiping God in this specific way. You're worshiping God the way your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather going all the way back to the law, to the generation that was in the wilderness. This is the way that you are to worship God. And now it's changing. Um, I fully understand how that's a very difficult thing to to wrestle through. It doesn't make it right. And obviously Paul Paul specifically does a great job of shutting it down, but Peter here as well um, takes a stand that nope, Jesus came in, he fulfilled the old covenant. We have a new covenant now and that means things are changing. But I do think sometimes we think that we would be better in that situation when I don't think that's true. Right. I think it, it would be very hard to let go of a lot of these longstanding traditions, even if you accept the truth of who Jesus is. That would, that would be a, a very difficult transition to make. So. That's happening. Uh, Peter then relays the whole story once more of his vision from God and the unclean food and how the men for Cornelius, he just tells the whole story again. Uh, most importantly, though, Peter shares how when he prayed for them, the Holy Spirit fell on them right then and there. And I love how Peter describes this moment. This is Acts 11, starting in verse 15. It says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift, he also gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Great, great point, Peter. Yes, great. Uh, and then verse 18 says, when they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God saying, well then. 
God has also granted the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. And so Peter, Peter is basically saying like, look, Jesus himself said, there's going to be a baptism of the Holy spirit. And I saw it happen. Like, yeah. I, and Peter's like, I can't, I'm, I'm not controlling this. God, like the Holy Spirit filled these people. It happened. Who am I to tell God that he's not allowed to do that? Right. Which the is, proof's in the pudding. Exactly. Which of course, that's, <laughs> there's going to be a whole trial that comes up about that. But well, you know, for now, great, great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this, we get some more updates on the church in general. Uh, many people are scattering from Jerusalem. So remember, even though Saul is no longer the ringleader, there's still active persecution happening in Jerusalem and a lot of the Christians are being scattered. Um, and this, I think, is God is using this clearly because I think the church was kind of, even after Jesus said, go into all the earth, I think the church was pretty happy to stay huddled in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Again, because it's hard to let go of the way you used to worship God. There was no evangelism in the Old Testament. Or the, the, the idea was not go and make all the other nations Jewish. The idea was you are a shining light of what it means to worship me and all the other nations as they come through Israel would see it. And mm-hmm. now it's being changed to go and tell yeah. and tell them about this new covenant. So again, it's hard to let go of old things. And so God is using the persecution of the church to kind of, you know, the mama bird pushing the baby bird out of the nest is kind of what I view this moment as almost. Uh, we see Antioch becomes the sort of new capital of the church. Um, and that's kind of in modern day Syria. So it's north of it's north of Jerusalem, but it's still on like the eastern Mediterranean. It's before you get to Turkey and stuff like that. Um, at the start, the members of the church were speaking only to Jews about Jesus, but some Christians, particularly from Cyprus and Cyrene, began to share the gospel with the Greeks, and many of the Greeks in Antioch turned toward the Lord. And so Cyprus is that island that is below Turkey, west of Antioch. It's kind of in the middle there. So it's still called Cyprus. So you can just look it up, but that, that's where it's at. And I say that because that's where people are going. So I'm not just, you know, that wasn't just a fun fact. That was a, that was a remember where this is. Uh, So Barnabas is sent to investigate and he thinks it's awesome. And so he goes to Tarsus and finds Saul and he shows him that every, he shows him everything as well. So Barnabas goes and finds Saul. He's like, dude, you're not going to believe this Gentiles. It's it's awesome. And so I love Barnabas. I love his attitude. He's a great guy. Good old Barney. Oh, Barney's great. Uh, And so they stay in Antioch for a year. I also think he wrote Hebrews, but we'll talk about that more when we get to Hebrews. But last year we, me and Aaron were talking about it. And I think if if you list off all the names of people who could have written it, Mm -hmm. I think Barnabas makes the most sense, but that's in a very open-handed, who knows. Mm -hmm. Um, One day in heaven, we'll find out who wrote Hebrews. So uh, they stay in Antioch for a year. And then we also learn that this is the first time the word Christian is used to describe Christ followers. So up until this point, they are, uh, they're Jews who are followers of the way. And then this is the first time we hear of the word, the term Christian, which means little Christ. So mm-hmm. they're just being called, hey, look at those little Christs over there. So, which I, yeah, I think it's a fun, that's a fun nickname. I like, I like that when mm-hmm. I say, I'm, when I say I'm a Christian, hopefully I can endeavor to be a little Christ. <laughs> uh, and then finally we hear about a Christian named Agabus who gave a prophecy of famine, which does occur. And then the church collects an offering to help those affected in Judea. And Saul and Barnabas are the ones who are sent with the money. So they stay for about a year. There's a famine that's coming. And so the church wants to help out uh, the famine south. And so they give a bunch of money to Paul and Barn or Saul and Barnabas at this point. And then they tell him, hey, can, can you go give this to the church? And that's what happens. Yeah. So Saul and Barney, they're on their way. Uh, obviously. Um, and then tw- 12 starts out saying that about this time, so as Saul and Barney are on their way, at this time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. Um, And that phrase there just says a lot to me. So this Herod um, that we're talking about now is um, Herod the Great's grandson. And Herod the Great, we know, is Herod from the Christmas story. So he's the one, kill all the babies, who's this Jesus guy, you know. 
Um, Israel's confusing because it's kind of like how France has a bajillion kings and they're all named Louis. Mm-hmm. Like Israel has a bunch of kings that are all named Herod. They're all named Herod. So yeah, so this is Herod the Great's grandson. And I find it interesting that these Herods are still trying to please the Jews because Herod the Great, um, he was a Jew, but not really. <laughs> That's fair. That's it's, a fair description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was always trying to prove himself to the Jews and that he belonged and that he should be their king. And always trying to um, make them respect him and love him. And so uh, we see that with this Herod too. He's trying to, to make moves that will win him favor with the Jews. Um, so, so good old Herod, in an attempt to win the Jews' favor um, and doing all these violent acts, he locks um, Peter up. And now we look at verse five to six and it says, ooh, I love this kind of stuff. Okay, but earnest prayer was made by the church. It's very intentional. I love this verse. That prayer of the church is what sets in motion the things that build the church, like Peter's release from prison. Um, so you guys may or may not know that we're doing um, a building. We're building here at the Grove Church, new auditorium. Building a new auditorium, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And so um, they, Nick and uh, even sometimes Ryan will put out these little weekly updates. And one, it was like, gosh, you might remember better than me, Evan, it was like three-ish weeks ago or something. But I remember... Um, Aiden had just, Aiden, my 18-year-old, almost 19, had just watched that update on Instagram. And he comes into the living room and he goes, Mom, I am just so amazed. I think it is so cool how, um, I think he said it was like, Nick said it was like 30 grand we had saved or accumulated through like in-kind gifts or like something like that. Is, oh, yeah. Am pe- I re- so it's people, yeah. It's, I mean, there's different right. people donating uh, supplies yeah. or ways that we're able to save money and carve it out. Yeah. Yeah. And Aiden was just in awe. He's like, wow, Mom. Look what can happen when God's people pull together. And I, I think that's what we're seeing here. When Peter's released, it's because they came together in earnest prayer and working together. Um, so anyways, it did make me think of that moment with Aiden and how in awe he was. That's what I'm in awe of here when I read this scripture. So anyways, Barney and Saul, I like calling him Barney, okay? I, I dig it. Don't judge me. <laughs> they come with edible aid. The church prays for Peter's release. He shows up at Mark's mom's house where Rhoda, and Rhoda means Rose, by the way, so I'm calling her Rosie. We've got Barney and Rosie now. Smart. <laughs> Rosie the servant um, leaves him hanging at the door because Peter arrives at the door after his escape, is knocking on the door. Rosie sees him there and is in just awe, such awe of the fact that he's there that she leaves him hanging and goes, runs to the people in the house and says, dudes, Peter's here. And they're all like, shut the front door. He is not. And Rosie's like, I did shut the front door. And he is. And in realizing that she shut the front door on Peter, (laughs) she then goes and, um, opens it for him and lets him in. <laughs> oh, dude. It, it would be, if, if you're making like a movie of this, that's definitely one of the funniest scenes. Which is, she runs away and she's like, you're never going to guess who's at the door. She's but, like, oh shoot, I did shut the front door. What are you going to do? <laughs> so um, though, yeah, that was some fun stuff in, in chapter 12 here, but we, we get to the end here. Herod dies. Um, Peter goes somewhere and Barney and Saul take Mark back with them. There you go. And it, when Herod died, it's the, uh, is that the, the scene where it's the voice of God and not of man. Is that what's happening? And then yes, Herod doesn't actually, correct him. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think to point that out. It's a oh, very prominent, yeah. It's it's very reminiscent for me of like the Nebuchadnezzar yeah. things where he's always just like, I'm so great. And then God humbles him. Yeah. In this case, God doesn't super humble Herod. He's just right. like, you know what? All right, we're done here. Yeah. So remember Herod, he's he's fighting for the Jews, Jews' love and affection. And so 
um, he does something, I can't remember what, but they're like praising him or whatever. And he fails to give that glory to God. Yeah. So he drops And this is dead. Herod, is it Agrippa? And then Antipas is the next? I don't know. I shouldn't, I don't know. Know. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have even asked. They're all named Herod. The, spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah, the next king is, is Herod as well. So I don't even remember. All right. New Testament day three. Uh, so after all of this, we get the first missionary journey of Paul. If you turn in the back of your Bible to the maps, I guarantee you there's a map of this, unless there's no maps. But if there are maps... <laughs> There's going to be a maps of the missionary journeys of Paul. Uh, and so, sorry, still Saul at this point. Yes. So, we, and it's funny because, well, I'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, some prophets and teachers in Antioch. So this is Barnabas, Simon, Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, and Menaean, who was a friend of Herod and Saul, received word from the Holy Spirit that Barnabas and Saul are to be sent out to accomplish the work of God. Uh, and I, I want to take a quick moment to point out this crowd because it's really interesting. Uh, so Niger just means black or dark. Mm, right. Uh, and so what the, the inference here is that Simeon is a, a black man from Africa. Uh, and also you have Menaean, who is a friend of Herod. So what you're seeing here is that A, the early Christian church is not this like just Jewish thing that's happening. Right. They're getting people from all over the world. This is a this is a multicultural uh, movement of God, which is really great. And then you're also getting this multiple um, socioeconomic statuses where and yeah. I, I'm assuming some of these people were poor. Um, Barnabas definitely wasn't because we hear about him selling off all of his land. Uh, but Menaean also would not have been. We're talking about how he's straight up a friend of Herod mm -hmm. and and yet he's heard the news of Jesus and and he believes he believes in it. And so he wants to go for it as well. So I, I love the picture of the church. And sometimes we just don't think about this because it's it, you have to look between the lines a little bit. Um, but I love how it's God bringing together all of these different people from all of these different backgrounds, and he's using them to build his church. It's, it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. But they receive word uh, from the Holy Spirit that Barnabas and Saul should be sent out to accomplish the word of God. And so Barnabas and Ball are Barnabas and Ball. <laughs> Barnabas and Saul are blessed by the church and make their way to Salamis on Cyprus. So that's their starting point. Again, that's the island, island where you got some of the Greek Jews coming from and sharing about Jesus. Uh, there, they meet a man, speaking of Jesus, they meet a man named Bar-Jesus, uh, who was a false prophet and trying to sway the proconsul in that area away from the faith. The proconsul is just the guy who's in charge. Uh, and so Paul proclaims that he will be blind. And when this happens, the proconsul is convinced. So I just love <laughs> Paul's not messing around. The guy's like, don't believe in these Christ people. And Paul's like, you're going to be blind for three days. And the, pro, uh, the, and the bar, and the bar Jesus is just like, oh, I can't see. And the proconsul's <laughs> like, all right, Paul, it's a very convincing argument you've just laid before me. So proconsul's on board. Uh, after this, the crew travels to Perga, which is uh, in modern day south, southern Turkey. And he does uh, his preaching in the synagogue. And we get a great sermon from Paul showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He goes through the entire history of Israel from Exodus to the resurrection. Uh, and we see this, I'll, I'll talk about the sermon here in a second, but this is the kind of the strategy that you see that Paul does. He's going to go to a city, he's going to go to the synagogue, which again is kind of like the Jewish church, like the way we yeah. go to church is the way that Jews go to synagogue. And he would just talk about, all right, hey, remember that Messiah we were all hoping for? found him like this is <laughs> this is who he is uh and then he would talk to the jews and then but he would also go to the gentiles so this wasn't just a jewish ministry but paul would always start with the jews similar to how jesus did it right like yeah. jesus the whole the whole point was we're starting with israel and then it's going to go out to right. all of the world uh and so paul points to some psalms specifically so this is in acts chapter 13 starting in verse 32 it says and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled his promise to those of us who are the descendants by raising Jesus. And 
as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today. I have fathered you. So that's one of the Psalms that's uh, talking about the Kings and how one day there'll be a King who God says that about, uh, continuing on. It says, as for that fact, he raised him from the dead, never again to return to decay. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and faithful mercies of David. That's another Psalm. Uh, therefore, he also says in another Psalm, because Paul just love, loves quoting Psalms, uh, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could be free from, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, see that the thing spoken of in the prophets does not seem to come upon you. Look at you, look, you scoffers and be astonished and perish for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe though someone should describe it to you. And that's Habakkuk. Um, I remember that one just because I always think it's funny that that's how God leads into Habakkuk. And the next line is like, you know, those really evil guys over in Babylon, they're going to come instead in Habakkuk. It's like, what? Um, but in those moments this is what's happening, right? Paul is showing the Jews through the Old Testament scripture, how it's pointing to Jesus. He's going through the Psalms and he's saying, hey, all of these about the, the greater David, this is the greater David. David died and he, his body decayed. Jesus died. He rose again. He's never decaying. And then he's warning them because again, what's the, um, what's the warning of Habakkuk is that there's judgment coming and the people need to be ready for it. Paul's telling them here, there's judgment coming. <laughs> the judgment of God is here. Um, the new covenant is here. So I, I shouldn't say just judgment. The new covenant is, is, is here and he's made a way out. So in other words, Babylon's coming, but now there's a way out. It's not like the old, the old days of the prophets where Jerusalem is doomed now it's God has made a way out and Jesus is that way out. So really cool how Paul's connecting the Old Testament to the word of Christ there. Uh, and after this sermon, many of the Jews believe in Christ. However, by the next week, those who didn't believe, uh, they began to preach against Paul. And so at this point, Paul and Barnabas switched their efforts to the Gentiles. Uh, and then they eventually leave for Iconium, which is north. And that's more in like central Turkey. So it's no longer a port city on the ocean. Now they're in the more landlocked area. If you care about geography, I don't know. That stuff helps me. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people out there, they're just like, yeah, no one cares. But for me, <laughs> I like to have a mental map of where everything's There's happening. There's some people like you out there. It's good. It happens. <laughs> so yeah, um, there, uh, but the Jews who refused to believe that Evan just mentioned, um, the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And I think that's amazing. So here we have these Jews who are stirring up the Gentiles, but all that did was make Paul and Barnabas spend more time speaking. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> Not quite the effect they were hoping for. So they spent more time boldly speaking for the Lord. And the Lord was like even confirming that um, by the grace of enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Um, next, we see in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. Loser. <laughs> so that's just a lame joke, not a, uh, not a I can't walk joke, but I just can't help. You think about it. There was a man who was lame and he'd be lame for his so whole life. Lame. Anyway, sorry, I continue on. <laughs> he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him. Can you imagine? Like Paul speaking 
Then he looks directly at you. That's like how the way like people think that happens in church, but now it's like actually happening. Like, <laughs> the, the pastor's looking right at me. Being called out. So Paul looked directly at him, but this is for a good reason, because he saw that he had faith to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the, how do you say that? Um, let me see where am I looking at. They like shouted Laconian, at? Laconian language. Oh, like, Laconian, yeah. Okay, yay. For sure. The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now, look how they react when they're being praised by the people. Remember how Herod reacted when he was being praised by the people? I, he said, hey, you know, I'm not going to stop them. They say the voice of God and not of man. That mm-hmm. sounds pretty awesome to me. Yeah. And then Herod goes, oopsie, and he dies. Classic Herod. Okay. But but Paul and Barnabas, when the, when the apostles... Paul and Barnabas heard this. They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around them again, remember how I said um, earlier when like uh, it was uh, Saul and Barnabas who had brought food aid and like Herod was... Um, acting violently against them to win the Jews' favor and then throws Peter in jail. And then I said the church came together and prayed for his release, and that happened. Um, that's what we see again here in, tw- in verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around them, so Christ followers gathering around together, there's power when we gather together. Um, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. And that's not, yeah, don't skip past that with mm-hmm. the idea of being... He, they threw rocks at him yeah. to the point where they thought he was dead. Yeah. That's not like a, they just threw a couple That's rocks. That's a big deal. Yeah, that, yeah. He probably, he was pretty close to death. This is a miracle that Paul gets back so up. So Christ's followers can release Peters from prison and bring Paul's back to life. Like, it's amazing. That's a good time. <laughs> uh, and I'll also say, I just want to put this in there because Saul turns into Paul mm-hmm. and it happens kind of without any uh, without any fanfare. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to say there's moments in the Bible where people change name. It's because God is giving them a new name. Yeah. So famously, it's Jacob to Israel and Simon to Peter. Um, that's not what's happening here. Paul just has two names. And that was very common because you would have a Hebrew name and you have a Greek name. So Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul is his Greek mm-hmm. name. Uh, you see this with a bunch of the disciples because that's why you get confused as some of the disciples are... Um, Known by two names, probably the most famous one of there is Matthew and Levi. That's just a Hebrew and a Greek name, but there's a there's a few different ones. I think it's Judas and Thaddeus as well, which I get why you don't want to go with Judas after because uh, there's two <laughs> Judases. And I think Not after that one. I think yeah, after everything went down, the other Judas was like, "I'm Thaddeus. Yeah, let's just, <laughs> let's just go with that instead." But anyway, uh, so Paul and Barnabas are doing their uh, sorry, they're doing. Th- while they're doing their thing, uh, some Jewish Christians come up from Judea and they start telling everyone that they need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Uh, and so Paul and Barnabas debate these issues and eventually they all decide to head to Jerusalem to sort it all out. So, I mean, at least they're, you know, they're keeping a level head on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the trial goes like this. This is in Acts chapter 15. It says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had been, all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to keep the law of Moses. Uh, quick pause here. I, I think we 
we don't think of the Pharisees as having changed their mind. A lot of them did, or at least a decent chunk of them. And so I think sometimes we, when we think of the Pharisees, we think of, they all hated Jesus. Like a lot of them did, but there's also, you get Nicodemus is a famous one. You get mm-hmm. Joseph of Arimathea, you get Gamaliel, who we talked about last week, who he kind of just gets up and he's like, hey, listen, if there's things from God, it's going to die, or it's not going to die. If it is, if it isn't from God, it's going to die. Right. Why are we getting in the way? Um, the Sadducees are the ones who don't really change their mind. And I think that has a lot to do with, I think the reason the Sadducees hated Jesus was political. And I think the reason the Pharisees hated Jesus was theological. Um, you can be convinced out of the theological points, the political ones, nothing changed between mm-hmm. the resurrection changes a lot of the theological points. It doesn't really change the political points. So I think that's why you see more Pharisees come around to Jesus than you do Sadducees. But again, these are just the random things that maybe I think about and don't interest anyone else. So uh, the apostles and elders... <coughs> Sorry, listeners, the apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. And there had been much debate. Uh, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he has also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Since this is the case, why are you putting God to the test by placing the neck upon the neck of the disciples, a yoke, which neither of our forefathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are, as they also are. All of the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded saying, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has described how God first concerned himself about taking about taking a people for his name from among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets agree with this. Just as it is written, after all these things, I will return and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may see the Lord and all of the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment, this is James talking again, uh, that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God. But that we write for sorry, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contain, contaminated by idols, from acts of sexual immorality, from that what has been strangled, and from blood. So basically, Paul's whole point is, hey, this is kind of what we expected. It's happening, and it's kind of the same point that Peter made earlier. Who are we to stand in the way of what God is doing? Mm-hmm. And I love what James does. James. He doesn't just get up and say, this is what I think. He gets up and says, this is what scripture says. And then they're realizing that this is being fulfilled. Uh, and then James, sorry, this is James, the brother of Christ. I don't think we talked about um, James, the brother of John was killed in one of the chapters we just read. I think we kind of skipped over that, but he's the first of the disciples that is actually uh, murdered for his faith. Uh, guess who did it? It was Herod because Herod's a jerk. Herod. So, um, so now, from now on, when we read James, think James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James is what's happening. And he kind of becomes the leader of the church of Jerusalem is kind of his, his role. Uh, and so his whole thing is basically, yeah, you're right. They don't need to keep the old covenant. Uh, just ask them to abstain from these things, which basically these would be the most offensive things to Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, the sexual immorality thing is actually straight up like that's law that we'll get into even, even further, but that's still a law under the new covenant. Um, the food offered to idols, the food that strangled from blood, all those different things. Basically, those would be the most shocking thing for a Jew to see a Gentile do. And so he's just saying, just avoid those things, keep the peace. That's yeah. kind of the idea. Uh, and so he writes a letter with that decision. And Paul and Barnabas are given the letter and they're told to go deliver it to the churches that you're at. 
Uh, the letter, again, it reaffirms the salvation of the Gentiles and asks them to keep some basic laws to keep peace with the Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, Paul and Barnabas then decide that they should go on to an, uh, another missionary journey and visit the churches that they had planted. However, they have a strong disagreement about whether or not to bring John Mark with them. At one point, and I, we, it's in the Bible, we read it, it's like a, a blink and you miss it verse, but at one point in their last journey, John Mark left them. Uh, I saw someone wonder if John Mark was the one who actually like tattled on them, which would be really interesting. That's never said. Um, so that's a very just like kind of conjecture, but that that would explain even more why Paul is uh is wants nothing to do with John at this point or Mark at this point. This is the guy who writes the gospel of Mark, by the way. Uh so spoilers, everything works out. Um, <laughs> but Paul and Barnabas cannot come to an agreement and they actually split up over this. So one of the first really effective missionary teams of the church splits up because Paul wants nothing to do with John Mark right now, and Barnabas wants to give him some grace. Uh, and so Paul takes Silas, and they go on the second missionary journey, which is basically going back through all the churches that they had visited before. And then Barnabas takes Mark, and they go on a separate journey. Um, and again, God uses this for good, because now there's even more teams that are going out yeah. and spreading the gospel. But it is really sad that we see this um, this partnership end. I won't say friendship end, because as we'll see through, and we talked about this last year, but as you see, as you read through the epistles, you'll notice that Mark isn't mentioned in any of the early ones. And then in the later ones, Mark is mentioned a little bit more. So now he's starting to work with Paul again. And then by the time you get to second Timothy um, and Titus, which are like the latest letters of Paul, one of the people that Paul asks specifically, Hey, send this person to come see me before I die. He asked for Mark. Yeah. So at some point, and I love that it plays out in the background because there's never a moment where like, and then Paul and Mark hugged and they said, I'm sorry. And they're <laughs> friends again. So it plays out in the background, but we do see that this friendship is eventually repaired. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's, it splits up in a sad way, but it also gets back together in a really beautiful way as well. Yes. So um, going into 16, 16, one is fascinating to me because the subject of whether one should be circumcised or not comes up again with Timothy. All the time. <laughs> Excuse me. We literally just decided at the Council in Acts 15 that circumcision is not necessary and an unnecessary burden to place on Gentile believers. Then Paul turns around and circumcised Timothy, Timothy, but not Titus. Why Timothy? Because Paul has discerned that those Jews who cling to the old ways of circumcision are weaker in the faith, and we shouldn't do anything to cause them to stumble. It's interesting to think about. Therefore, since Timothy was a Jew and the Jews knew it, Paul circumcised him so that he could minister effectively. And it's, again, it's about laying down our rights to serve others. It's an important rem reminder, I think. Yeah, it's kind of that when, I forgot what letter it's in, but, but Paul talks about how to the Jews I became a Jew, to the yeah. Gentiles I became a Gentile. Essentially, I don't want anything to stand in the way of someone hearing about Jesus. Right. Uh, that's quite the sacrifice that Timothy's making at that yeah, moment. I so, but, And not to, make, not to make light of it, it shows how seriously Timothy takes his calling, and he doesn't want anything to stand in the way of him proclaiming the gospel as well. Yes, very um, very sacrificial, very noble, very amazing to think about. So yeah. then we have the fortune-telling slave girl. <laughs> hey that um, The fortune-telling slave girl exercise because Paul got annoyed. I think that's so funny. Grumpy old Paul. <laughs> Paul got annoyed, and that lands him and Silas in jail. So we have this slave girl, um, and she's like, what was she doing? I can't remember. She was following behind them and shouting. At the, yeah. They, they're, ah, I can't remember what they say. Basically, that they're, they're saying the words yeah. of the Lord. They're not saying all, anything bad. Yeah, all things that are absolutely true, 
um, but it's not coming from a good place. And so Paul gets annoyed um, and and uh, they they command the spirit out of her. And then that lands him and Silas in jail. So why was Paul annoyed? Why did he and why did he speak directly to the spirit instead of praying to God? I, I really want I want to know what you think about that, Evan. And what does that mean for us? I've never thought about the second part. Why was Paul annoyed? I think yeah. I, I do think it's just kind of she's being annoying. Um, and so, <laughs> like, and it, it would be the same thing of like, if you were trying to talk to someone about Jesus mm-hmm. and someone was behind you just shouting, like, listen to him, he knows what he's talking about. You, even if like, you're like, Hey, I appreciate it, but can you, can you shut up? Shutty. Like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk here. I think that's part of what's going on in this moment. Um, as far as why he speaks directly to the spirit instead of praying to God, that I don't know. Although, although I suppose with, with exorcisms and mm-hmm. things of that nature, um, I guess I should say part of the reason Paul gets annoyed too is probably because he realizes this is the influence of an evil spirit. Yes. It's not just it's so and, and maybe and this demon is being particularly tricky by not saying anything bad. It's just kind of hindering right. Paul in his ministry. Um as far as why he speaks directly to the to the spirit, I think you see that with a lot of e- even if it's not like I'm I'm going back to Peter and Paul Peter and John. Uh, and the lame man outside of the temple, they don't say, God, heal this lame man. They say, yeah. in the name of Jesus Christ, exactly. of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so I think Paul is walking in the authority exactly. that he knows Jesus has given him. That's the, that's what I was hoping you would say. Oh, because, there you go. <laughs> yes, we have the power within us. And I think often we forget that, um, especially today in this age, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. We have that authority. And so um, that's why Paul spoke directly to the spirit. And what does that mean for us today? That we need to remember that we have the authority, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So 1625 talks about the conversion of the jailer where Paul and Silas were after they were miraculously set free. Um, I've read that Paul and Silas didn't see their freedom as an escape, but as an opportunity to minister to that jailer. Yeah, clearly, because they don't leave. Mm -hmm. Which I find interesting because again, it's that like we talked about earlier with, um, you know, just being blessed and paying it forward. You got all those jewels and things from the Egyptians and you pay that for it. It's not, it's not yours to just do whatever. It's to steward well for God. And yeah. so, yeah. I think with Paul, you see that his whole life is mm-hmm. built around how many people can I tell about Jesus? Right. I, I love the passage in Philippians where he basically talks about how like, um, yeah, I'm in jail, but I've been talking to uh, all of my guards about Jesus. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Basically, he, yeah. He, the, the, there's an implication that like people are getting annoyed with yeah. them for doing it, but he's like, I'm not stopping. Right. Um, and I love that. In this moment, it would have been so easy for Paul and Silas to leave. Yeah. But instead, they stay and they they love that jailer in an incredible way because the jailer would have died if yeah. if, if not for them. So it's it, yeah, it's a beautiful thing that they do there. Yeah. I love that they use the the good things that happen to serve others, always paying it forward. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, our last day is uh, chapter 17, and it's kind of a montage of Paul's journey as he travels to many city, cities. Uh, first in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas preach in the synagogue, and many come to faith. However, there are many who do not believe. That's kind of a theme that happens, uh, and they drive them away. Uh, nonetheless, a church is planted, as we see from Paul's correspondence, because there's going to be two letters to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, next up, Paul goes to Berea, where he goes with the same strategy again. Uh, this uh, he's preaching in the synagogues. Uh, this time, the Jews are more cautious and they test his word against Scripture, which is not a bad thing. It says that they're of more noble character because they do this. 
Uh, many come to believe, including many prominent Greeks. However, the Jews of Thessalonica hear about this and they travel down to drive them away. And so it's it's funny because it's not the Jews in Berea who do this. It's the ones from Thessalonica who are like, hey, hey, none of that, Paul, get out of here. Uh, the crew then go to Athens where many more people believe. However, this time he is confronted by Greek philosophers and he gives his famous sermon on the Areopagus or Mars Hill. Uh, And so I'm going to read the message, but here's the deal. I want you to pay attention to, there's a reason I read out the full sermon of Paul earlier that he gave in Perga. I'm going to read this one really quick. See if you can spot the difference, beloved listener. Uh, So this is starting in verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who has made the world and everything that is in it, since it, uh, it, sorry, that is in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything since he himself gives all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man, every nation of mankind and on all of the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that 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 they would seek God, if perhaps they might feel they might feel around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his descendants. Therefore, since we are the descendants of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by human skill and thought. So having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to all mankind that all people everywhere are to repent, because he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to scoff, but others said, we shall hear more from you concerning this. Uh, So Paul went out from among them. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Uh, so here's the thing I wanted to point out. In the sermon at Perga, what's Paul, what does Paul do? He quotes the Psalms, he quotes Habakkuk, and he's for the Jews there, he's showing how the Old Testament scripture points to Jesus. Mm-hmm. In this sermon, there's no there's one slight quote of the Old Testament, but there's no overt quote where he's ap- appealing to it. What does he appeal to? He appeals to their tradition. Yep, what they know. Yep, yep. the unknown God. Hey, let me tell you more about this unknown God. He appeals to their poets. He's Mm -hmm. like, hey, some of your poets, they they were right about this one thing. Uh, Paul is very willing to contextualize his messages for the group that he's preaching to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because obviously, it's a bunch of Greeks they're not going to care about the Old Testament. Exactly. They don't they don't value the Old Testament. That's not the way to get to their hearts about Jesus. But Paul knows this and this is why he's such an effective missionary is he knows what his crowd has in their heads and he knows that if all, I, I've I've heard this way, all truth is God's truth. So whether it's in scripture or whether it's out in the world, if it's true, it's going to point to God. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is not afraid of doing that. So that's where I want to wrap up the New Testament portion for today is seeing how when Paul is preaching to a bunch of Jews in the synagogue, he's going to preach one way. When Paul is preaching to a bunch of Greek philosophers on Mars Hill, he's going to preach another way there. Um, I just, I love the way that Paul's main thing is I'm going to preach Jesus. Yeah. However that needs to happen. Yep. All right. Well, we did have some Psalms and Proverbs this week. So let's take a second to talk about those. 
So this will be pretty quick. Uh, Proverbs 3 is a reminder of even more of the rewards for wisdom. This is kind of the big preamble before we get into the tidbits. Uh, there are plenty of reasons listing, uh, listed, but the most famous line is, uh, is easily this. It says in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Uh, so I should have put four, and, four through five, but it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. First verse, my boys memorized. Oh, there you go. I was probably, it was probably pretty close to my first <laughs> verse as well. Uh, Psalm 16 shows that David views the Lord as his portion. Uh, no matter what happens, the joy of God's salvation cannot be taken from him. Uh, so in this Psalm, Dave, David relishes in the joy that he feels over this truth, the truth of God's salvation. Psalm 17 is a cry from David for God to deliver him from his oppressors and his enemies. You can see in this psalm a shadow of when God would deliver the whole world from the greatest enemies. So it's kind of pointing towards Jesus a little bit. Uh, and then finally, Psalm 18. It's the longest psalm that we've read so far. Uh, and in it, David is thanking the Lord for rescuing him from his enemies. Uh, I think the ending portion fits really well as we've been exploring the theme of the gospel going to the Gentile these last few weeks, especially today. Uh, so this is Psalm 18, verses 49 through 50. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. He gives great salvation to his king and shows faithfulness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Uh, so again, Paul is talking about how Jesus is the greater David. And then David's talking about how I will give thanks to you among the nations. And now we're seeing the final fulfillment of that is the, the glory of God is going out, not just in Israel. The message of God, the gospel of God is going out to all of the nations as well. So Woo-hoo. yeah, you kind of get a little, a little shadow of that to come. All right. Well, let's talk about what we learned today. All right. So two things that really stick out to me from this week's readings are one, the fact that whether we are blessed, you know, material-wise or situational-wise. So again, you know, like the Israelites with all the loot they got from the Egyptians, they were blessed with that and they used it for God's glory. Or like when Paul um, was freed from prison and he did not use that as a selfish opportunity, but he used it to speak to the jailer. Just that opportunity um, or that lesson of being a good steward of what we're given um, circumstance-wise or material-wise and paying that forward. So that's one thing. And then secondly, I just love, love, like my son Aiden was saying, you know, in awe of the weekly update on the building campaign and stuff, how when God's people come together, um, big things happen. And it's it's really a miracle and something to really think about. So, you know, Peter being set free from jail or um, Paul being stoned to wherever he thought he was dead, but then he gets up and moves on. Like, these are things that happen because the people of God get together for a purpose. No, absolutely. Uh, for me, my mind goes to, and it's easy because we talked about this a few weeks ago in in church, um, but that verse about how the Jews of Berea were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica because they tested the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a reminder for us today that that's what we should be doing. Like when we hear, like when we hear things, when, and there's a lot of, I'm I'm a pretty wide open window as far as like, I, I'm not very quick to say like false teacher, although I think there is some of that that's that's around there. We need to be careful. Um, but what it reminds me of is, hey, when we hear things and they kind of, they perk something up in our hearts, like, hey, is that is that correct? We should know scripture well enough that we can, that we can search it, that we can test things against it. 
Um, so it's it's not just about, hey, let's go look this up, which I think is great, um, but it should also be that we should strive to continuously fill our minds and our hearts with the word of God to the point where even when we hear something, we can, we don't even have to necessarily go look it up. We can just say like, wait a second. No, that's that's this what's going on. That's what happens right. with uh, with Jesus and Satan in the in the desert when he's confronted, he's he's pulling things directly out. That's what's happening in that in those moments. And I think it's a it's a great goal. Not that it, I don't know if any of us can ever get there perfectly, um, but it's a great goal for me to can I fill my life with God's words so much that I can test things even in real time against that. That's kind of a oh, that's kind of a goal. I think would be cool. All right. Well, we did have a question come in, so mm-hmm. let's go ahead and answer that one. Okay, so it says, I look forward to seeing who the co-pilot or guest Bible expert will be each week. So yeah, we we changed it up our format. If you're joining us this year for the first time, this is the first year we've had a uh, kind of rotating co-host. It was Aaron for a lot of years, uh, but he is uh, he's got he's just gotten busy with everything going mm-hmm. on. So we're we're switching it up a little bit. So there you go. The co-pilot this week is Jen. Yeah, or we got tired of listening to Aaron. It's I mean that too. <laughs> Obviously, that guy is what a. <laughs> We love you, Aaron. Anyway, uh, so the question is, what does it mean when it said that Jacob blessed Pharaoh in Genesis 47.10? And so it it seems basically what's going on is it's the the same sort of blessing that he's giving to his sons. Mm -hmm. And so what these are is words of either encouragement or judgment, as we get with a few of the older sons, uh, particularly Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. But the, the idea there would be Jacob is showing his gratitude to Pharaoh. Um, and we see, we see that Joseph talks about how Pharaoh is like a son to him or how Joseph has become a father to Pharaoh, um, which makes me think that this Pharaoh is kind of young as well. Um, but obviously who knows what's going on there. Um, but I think what's happening in that moment is that Jacob is recognizing that Pharaoh has been incredibly kind to him and his family. Um, even in the little things, like when the brothers are going back to get everything, Pharaoh's like, oh no, just take these wagons. It's going to make it way easier. So you don't have to do the whole thing on foot. Um, Pharaoh loves Joseph and he, by extension, loves Joseph, Joseph's family and treats them well. Uh, and sometimes we forget about that because obviously it goes south at some point between then and the Exodus where all of a sudden the Israelites are horribly oppressed, but right. it starts off with a really beautiful relationship. And so when, when Jacob is blessing Pharaoh in this moment, um, it's, it's almost like he's giving, he's giving him an honor that is usually reserved for sons like right. that. And I think that's what he's doing in that moment. Well, and not only that, but if you remember at the top of the show today, Evan said that, you know, God said, I will make you a nation of prophets. And like he's promised to Abraham, through you, all people will be blessed. So I think we're seeing that at play here too, is that it's very significant when he gives this um, blessing to Pharaoh, because it is through them that all nations will be blessed, that they can have access to God. And so- No, that's uh, a great point. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, the the, the all nations breasted blessed <laughs> the all nations blessed uh is a promise given to abraham mm-hmm. and even here his grandson is going to fulfill that yeah um no oh, sorry it was a nation of priests oh yes so, i know you meant priests but like, I was <laughs> p just saying, words you know i, I need a second case, cup of coffee stop in case people were like wait a second so there you go all right. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we, reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find our other resources on our website, grove.church, under the media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening and have a great week. <laughs>